Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence here today. Lord, we thank you that you came to this earth not just to be some good moral teacher, not to show us how to live our life, but you came to redeem us. You came to redeem what was lost. And Lord, in those moments where we don't feel we're worth it, we don't feel that we're worthy, you decided in heaven that we were worth it, that we are worthy, or you would have never done it. But we can't earn it, we don't deserve it, but we are worth it, and we are worthy, and we thank you for that. And so we thank you for Easter, we thank you for the day where you kicked death to the curb, and you said, death, BRB, I'm coming back, and I am coming to serve, and to, I am coming to love humanity and the world that I created, and I'm going to redeem it. Lord, you love us enough to say, not only am I going to conquer death for you and give you the opportunity to be death, but I'm going to come back one day and set everything straight. And your resurrection is proof of that promise. And we love you and we thank you for that, Lord, so that every person that's in this place that comes in that's angry, that's depressed, that's anxious, that's here because mom and dad made them come and they don't want to be here. Lord, we thank you that you love us all. Lord, from the Satan worshiper to the one that has lived in church all their life, you love us all, God. And we praise you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. You can be seated. God is an amazing, loving, gracious God. And so if this is your first time here today, I just want to say welcome. Thank you for coming. I know God's got some amazing things in store for you today. If you're uh, kids, kids, I'm going to dismiss the kids. You guys can go on back, go out the middle aisle, out the back doors, and you all are free to go. And we just thank you for coming, even though, even though, uh, you you came for Easter, and probably mom and dad made you come, and um, and how many, I'll just wait for them to get out the door, and then I'm going to ask mom and dad a question, and I want you to be honest, because they're not in here. How many of your kids, like, suddenly became possessed on the way here? Just let me see your hands. <laughs> like, right? So you gently tap on the brake to get them within arm's reach, shut up back there? No? Nobody? Good, Okay. Good. Nobody did that. All right. Well, listen, we are here this morning because of the resurrection of Christ. And one of the things that I know is fact is the resurrection of Christ. Here's how I know it's fact. In the 70s, there was this thing called Watergate that happened. Now, some of us read about it and some of us were alive during that time. But some 12, 12 of the most powerful people in the world could not keep alive for three weeks and they broke down. We call it Watergate. But 2,000 years ago, 12 men were tortured, beaten, and all but one martyred for what they claimed to be the resurrection of Christ and be the truth. And they kept that up for 40 years. Now, if 12 men can't keep alive for three weeks, it must be that Christ rose from the dead because they kept it for 40 years and willing, were willing to not only be tortured, but willing to die for it. People don't die for a lie, and they definitely don't get tortured for a lie. It's the truth, and that's why we're sitting here today. And so if Jesus beat death, 
what is it you and I, what are we afraid of, really? Why, why should we be afraid? Right? There's nothing we have to be afraid of. In the early 1900s, there was a circus, and it had come to town, to, to, to a very large town, and the town, name of the town escapes me for now. I think it was on the West Coast, but the circus came, and they, of course, they brought the animals with them, and they had a particular animal. They had a bear, and this bear was kept in a 12-foot by 12-foot cage, and the bear had a routine because it, it didn't have anywhere to go, so it would lay down, and at, at a particular time of the day, it would get up, and then it would pace, and then it would eat, and what it would eat were the scraps and the leftovers from members of the circus. And they would just give this bear, this 12-foot cage, its leftovers. And the bear would just pace. And that was it. That was the bear's life. Pacing the cage, eating junk, eating trash, eating scraps. There's no way for a bear to live. <laughs> In some circles, we would call it animal cruelty, Right? But a local zoo heard of this, and so they offered the circus a crazy amount of money and said, let us buy this bear from you. And so they did, and they brought the bear to the zoo, and they released the bear into this large habitat, large habitat, and it, and it is forest and trees, and, and when they released the bear, the bear didn't do anything. The bear paced 12 feet. The bear wouldn't eat. Oh, the food was exactly what the bear needed because the new animal nutritionist at the zoo gave the bear what it needed, but the bear wouldn't eat it because it wasn't familiar to it. And no matter what they did, the bear would stay in its 12-foot confinement because that's what it had learned. That's what it understood. And even though it had a large area to roam now with trees and a makeshift cave and all of these things, the bear just stayed. And so they finally got a zookeeper, a veterinarian, and an animal trainer. And slowly but surely, the bear began to go 13 feet, 20 feet, until eventually one day, a year or so later, the bear was roaming the entire area. And it had broken through what it thought was its cage. In Scripture, there are three things that happened to bring Christ back from the grave. You see, it took, it took a zookeeper, a veterinarian, and an animal trainer to help that bear break free of what in its mind was holding it back. At the resurrection of Christ, the Bible tells us three things. One, Paul says in Galatians 1.1, it won't be up on the screen. If you're taking notes, you can just write this down. In Galatians 1.1, it says, and God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. In Galatians 1.1, Paul writes to the church in Galatia, in modern-day Turkey, and he says, God raised Jesus from the dead. And some of you are like, yeah, I, I know that. That's why I'm like, here, dude. So like, what's going on? And then the Bible says in John 2, 1, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, talking about his body, because Jesus called our bodies temples, right? 
He says, destroy this temple, Jesus says, and I will raise it again in three days. Jesus says, you kill me, and I'll be back in three days. Like, it's not enough that dude comes back from the dead, but he calls it out like a year in advance. You go ahead and kill me, and I'll be back in three days. Right? Galatians 1, 1 says that God raised Jesus from the dead. John 2, 1 says Jesus would raise himself from the dead. Romans 8, 11, this will be on the screen because we're in a camp here just for a few minutes. Romans 8, 11 says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Now, Paul writes to the church at Rome and he says, no, 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 wait, guys. It's the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Anybody got issues here? One of my professors at Ball State said, see, this is proof that the Bible contradicts itself. I went, I think you're forgetting something. There's this thing called the Trinity, and the three of them work in unison together as one. And so scripture just verifies. Jesus goes, I will bring myself back to life. Paul says to the church in Galatia, God the Father will bring him back to life. And Paul to Romans says the Holy Spirit brings him back to life so that they work together in unison to bring Christ back from hell because he kicked Satan's butt. Because he went down there and he said, listen, you're not taking this world. You might have taken ownership of this world from Adam and Eve, but I live the perfect sinless life and I'm here to reclaim what's mine. And so he goes to hell and he says, bring it. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the Father all work together and pull him out of hell to bring him back from the grave to say, I've got this. And you have no need to fear. But he's not just redeeming your soul. We've got to get past. John 3.16 says, God's of the world. The word world in the Greek is cosmos where we get our English word cosmos, the entire creation, the universe, the planets, everything that God created, he loved it so much, he goes, I'm going to redeem it. And part of that redemption is humanity if they'll jump on board with my plan. And so God gives us a choice. You can either live for the world to come or you can live for the world you can see and taste now. There are two worlds at play. You either live for this one or that one. Jesus goes, I'm going to redeem it all. You want to be a part of my plan or do you not? This is your choice. This is what he offers us. And so if you choose to live for the world to come, then life drastically changes. In Romans 8.11, it says, Paul tells us, put that back up on the screen, and if the spirit who, of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Paul says that when we come to Christ and choose to place our trust and our faith in him, everybody's born with faith. The book, the book of Romans in the Bible tells us everybody is born with the ability to have faith and the ability to believe. It's where you place your belief that eventually matters. Well, I believe all of this and so a God doesn't exist. I believe all of this and that God, that's God. And then I believe all of this so this God. The issue isn't so much all of that. The issue is where do you put your belief? God has given everybody the ability to believe and have faith. 
Animals don't have faith. Human, humans do. So where does that come from? That comes from God. And he says, where are you going to put your faith at? You're going to put it in the one who came out of the grave, or are you going to put it in this thing over here or that over there? Or that? Where are you placing your faith? Because that ultimately matters. And if you put that in Jesus, then this verse says that that spirit comes to live in you. And that Greek word literally means to live comfort, comfortably at home. Let's talk about living comfortably at home. You ever have, who, who has friends over? Anybody have friends over? Let me see your hands. You ever have guests over? Some of you are like, well, do we have friends? I see spouses looking at each other. Do you have, we have friends? Yes, right? So you have friends over sometimes. And what happens? Like Easter. Anybody having family over for Easter or anything? Go going over to somebody's house for Easter? Yeah, right? So what happens if you're in the priest household? Oh, snap. Great. You know what that means? We got to clean. We got to vacuum. We got to clean. We got we to do the dishes. We don't really clean our room. We just shut the bedroom door. Anybody else just shut the bedroom door? Don't act like you do. Don't laugh at me. You do the same stupid thing. You're like, ooh, ooh. Right? That's not living comfortably at home. Comfortably at home means. I ain't worried about putting my cup on a coaster. I'm kicking my feet up on the coffee table. I'll get to those dishes when I want. I didn't make the bed this morning. It's good. Oh, yeah, the tank's on E. Honey, can you drive the car down to the gas station, fill it up, and bring it back for me? Thanks. I love you, too. Isn't that nice? Right? Living comfortably at home. This is the Greek word. It means the Holy Spirit lives comfortably inside of you. That you don't have to keep putting on false pretense. Oh, i got to get dressed up and go to church. God's like, look, I know what you were thinking. Trust me, your, your thoughts were much dirtier than the way you dressed up this morning. Okay? You're not fooling anybody. I love it when the preacher shows up and suddenly, like, they put the cigarette out. I'm like, what? I know you smoke. Like, look, you don't, ant you don't stand before the preacher anyway. You stand before God when you die. Don't he knows it all anyway. Right? The Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you because you follow Jesus, he wants to live comfortably. The Holy Spirit wants to come into your life and kick his feet up and put his feet on your end table. He doesn't want to use a coaster and he doesn't want to make the bed. I got news for you. Jesus took naps. He was sleeping in the boat in the middle of the storm. Be like Jesus. Take naps. Some of you, I just heard somebody go, yes. Don't be nudging your spouse. Leave your spouse out of this. Look. Jesus wants to come into our lives and live comfortably. He wants to live comfortably. As long as we keep trying to fix everything up, and as long as we keep trying to make our lives better, i got to stop cussing. I need a cuss jar, and I'll put it in there every time I stop cussing. And, and, and one day I'm going to stop chewing, and, and one day I'm just going to, one day I'm going to learn to forgive, and one day I'm going to learn to be gracious, and one day I'm going to stop it. Just counseling advice. Stop it. Just stop. Right? Jesus, look, I want to come into your life and live comfortably. I know you have issues. I know the reason that you look at stuff on the internet is because you have a need to feel needed. I know that. Be needed by me. Fulfill that need. Let me fulfill that need to be needed. Jesus says, I know all of this stuff. Just let me come in and kick my feet up a little bit, all right? I don't care that there's dirt in the carpet. I don't care that there's a dog poo, dog poo stain over in the corner. I don't care. I just want to love you. 
This is, this is Jesus. This is what this word means. And as long as you keep trying to fix everything up, you will continually be trapped behind the stone in front of your tomb. Because you think it's your power and your ability that's going to somehow fix it. It never will be. It never will be. Here's what I want to tell you, though. If the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, and you've accepted Jesus, if you're here this morning, and you've already accepted Jesus, and you're here because you believe in Jesus, and you are walking into that relationship with Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is free to kick his feet up at your, in the heart and where you dwell, if he's free to do and be himself, then you don't have the same expectations as those who don't have the Holy Spirit. So why? Why do we live with the same expectations as somebody who doesn't? Because the Holy Spirit that punched Jesus out of hell and through the grave is dwelling in you, Paul says. Why do we have the same expectations? I, I can't stand it when I get on socials and I see Christians going, Oh, the weather is horrible. It's just so ugly out. Really? You, you have the power of life and death in you. And you're worried about the rain or freezing, freezing rain or snow or... I see this on social media too. Oh, it's Sunday night and Monday morning. I got to get up and go to work to Monday. The Monday blues. Really? You need to come out of that tomb. You need to come out of the Monday morning blues tomb. Oh, this final is going to be so hard. Really? The one who created and knows everything about the universe lives inside of you. You can pass the final. You can do it. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. But here's the thing. I was talking to somebody this week about this. He said, I've just, I've just, I, just started, I just started being me, and I, I, and I feel so free. I said, that's awesome. And I just started just living out of what I want to do. I said, it's great. I mean, God's designed us all with different skills and different abilities and different gifts and talents. She goes, and I just, I've just never felt so free. And I said, well, then let me ask you something. Do you have any self-defeating thoughts? Do you have any self-defeating attitudes? Do you ever tell yourself you can't? Do you ever feel less than? Yeah. I said, well, then you're not free. You're not free. You've just, been, you've just been using your gifts and talents differently, but you're not free. You're still chained by self-doubt and low self-esteem and trying to live up to everybody else's standards. You're not free. Here's what we have to understand. A slave will never be able to free another slave. Oh, a slave might be able to break the chains off another slave and then take off running, but he's not really free because he's constantly looking over his shoulder for the dogs and the owner with the gun. But when somebody who's already free purchases a slave and undoes the change and says, here, I've got property for you, go live and be free, and don't worry about the anxiety and the depression, now go be free, now he's free. And this is why humanity will never be able to free ourselves, because we are enslaved to our own thoughts and our own desires and our own lusts and our own cravings and our own desire to rebel against everything. We are chained to that. It took somebody who was already free and was never chained to go, I'm purchasing this for you. And I'm, rede I'm going to redeem everything. I'm going to restore everything. You want on board with the bigger picture or not? It's your choice. This is what he offers us in coming out of the tomb. That's what he offers us. 
When he frees you spiritually and you choose to follow Jesus, you're living by a different set of rules. And you're free from the depression and free from the anxiety and free from the doubt and free from the fear. You don't have to worry about what somebody else says because the creator of the universe is your dad. He owns everything. The most powerful being in the universe says, I love you. And I don't care what somebody else says about you. I don't care what your mom and dad said that hurt you or what your mom and dad did that made you feel like a low life and a scum. I don't care where you've been. I love you anyway. I know your pain and your heartache. God knows what it's like to lose a child. Our Heavenly Father lost his son. He knows the pain of losing a child. He's been there. And so when Jesus frees us, he says, listen, the Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. You get a new set of rules. You're not living by natural law anymore. And if God decides to do something supernatural in his life, he's going to do it because he's a supernatural God. All you've got is natural, but he's got super. And when you put them together and put your life in him, you have supernatural ability. Not anything like Marvel and DC. I ain't talking about that. Right? Although some of that's pretty cool. But... What I'm saying is this. What I'm saying is God will do things in your life that can't be explained. You'd be like, how did that? I don't know, dude. I, just, <laughs> I have no explanation for this. Right? It goes beyond human ability and beyond human reason. You live by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 3. Matthew 28, 1 through 3 says, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled it back, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. Does, does this, this is only part of the resurrection story, but does this verse say anywhere, anything about about Jesus being in the tomb? Any, any of it? Jesus was out of the tomb before the stone was rolled away. Read every account in the Gospels. The stone was not removed to let Jesus out. Jesus was already gone. One of the things, if you study, if you study our heavenly bodies and the body we get after death, heart, material Walls aren't really an issue. If you study Jesus' body and you study the, resurrection, the resurrected bodies that we get, we move at the speed of thought. So, of course, we don't need them. Jesus left the tomb. He's like, I'm out. Deuces. Gone. Out of here. Right? Jesus left the tomb. So the laws that you're living by, the law of depression, the law of anxiety, the law of guilt, the law of death, the law of fear is gone. It's defeated. It's out. It's gone. It's away. It can be removed from your life. The law of doubt, the law of cynicism can be gone. It can be removed, completely removed. It doesn't have to hold you back. We cling so tightly to the stone that we stay in our tombs, well, what about this? Where are you putting your belief? My belief is not hiding behind a stone in a cave somewhere. 
My belief is out there and alive and active because the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and nothing's going to hold me back. Fear is a liar. So many of you have believed that fear is a liar for so long. You don't know how to think or live any other way. And Christ goes, fear doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way anymore. Here's, here's our problem. We think the stone is there to stop us. It's there to prove there's a greater power in you. The stone is not designed to stop you. The stone is there to prove that there's a greater power in you than the anxiety that grips you, the depression that grips you. Maybe it's you've got, you got speech class coming up, and you're, like, petrified to, like, speak in public. Yeah, the power of God's in, in you to prove that you're going to get through that, and it's going to be okay. Right? Maybe somebody's bullying you on social media. The power of the Holy Spirit's in there, in you, to prove that you don't have to live up to that because they don't define you. He does. And if he defines you, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Honestly, kind of really doesn't matter what you think about yourself. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. If you start to learn what God thinks of you and what God believes you, listen, if, if God places in you the Holy Spirit, and you have the Holy Spirit living in you, God trusted you enough to carry the Holy Spirit in you. God trusts you more than you trust yourself. Somebody needed to hear that. God placed the Holy Spirit in you because he trusts you and he loves you. And God trusts us sometimes more than we trust ourselves. The stone's not there to stop you. It's there to prove God's power. And what I want to tell you this morning, what's holding you back doesn't have to hold you back. Let me tell you a story. There was a, there was a guy a few years ago about 15, 20 years ago. Hated talking on the phone. In fact, hated meeting new people. Didn't want to meet new people. Didn't care about meeting people. In fact, he was so terrified of talking on the phone and meeting new people, he wouldn't even pick up the phone and order pizza. He couldn't. He wouldn't do it. Petrified him. Nervous. Shakes. Like, mm-mm. In fact, he would look at his spouse and say, you order the pizza. I don't want to talk to you. I, I can't deal with him. You order the pizza. Then one day, God finally moves on him and says, yeah, you're going you're gonna to be a pastor, and you're going to meet new people all the time, and you're going to stand in front of people and talk, and ha, 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 you're an <laughs> Right. That person... Too anxious to pick up the phone and order pizza because I can't talk to people. Don't want to talk to people. Don't want to meet anybody new. I've got my friends. I'm close. That's good. God comes and goes, no, no, no. I'm about to do something. I'm going to do revolutionize your life. I'm going to change it up. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. I bet every person in here is not afraid to pick up the phone and call and order pizza. I was. Couldn't do it. 
Now look at me, it's standing here. Right? Been on stage with 10,000 people, a banker's life. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. I shouldn't, it doesn't make any sense. But the power of the Holy Spirit working in me changes everything. Now you don't know that because you only know what you've met here. The power of God is so powerful, it will revolutionize everything about you. Listen, I said the stone in all of this on all of the gospel stories. Jesus was already out of the tomb. And the stone was not rolled away for Jesus to get out. The stone was rolled away from Mary and Martha, not for Jesus. The stone was rolled away to prove a point. And I love what the Bible says because it says that the angel came down, pushed the stone out of the way, and then he just sat on it. <laughs> now, that probably doesn't mean much except... It typically took 16 to 20 soldiers to move that stone. So one angel comes down and goes, and he just hops up on it. He's like, what's up, girls? You can go in. He's not there. Where'd he go? Oh, he's live, like he said he would be. So you run on back and tell all the guys that are hiding and scared in the room. You ladies, go back and tell all the men who are hiding, hiding in the room and are fearful you ladies going back and tell him he's, he's, he's alive. And so the first preachers were women. Just throw that out there, right? And so they go back and they, they say, like, oh, my gosh, you'll never believe it. He's alive. He's alive. He's risen. And they, and they tell of the good news. Whatever's holding you back, your anxiety, your fear, your worry, your doubt, your depression, maybe you're schizophrenic, maybe you, whatever it is, it's your stone. And that stone doesn't have to move for you to beat it. God just wants to roll it out of the way so he can show everybody else what he's done in your life. The stone is rolled away so people can look into your life and go, how did you beat that? How did that happen? How did you accomplish that? How did you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the greater one that lives in me. I don't think of myself like that anymore. I don't respond that way anymore. I don't think that way anymore. I'm a different person. I'm changed, and I'm a part of a bigger plan, and I know that one day when he comes back and restores all of the universe and all of the cosmos, he restores everything. I'm going to be a part of that. Do you want to be a part of the bigger picture? Because there's a kingdom coming that will blow away every government on earth right now, and it's coming. Do you want to be a part of it? The stone is there. Not to hold you back because the Holy Spirit will blow you right through that thing. It's there to prove to everybody else, I'm not who I was. I'm different. I'm changed. I want you to get this this morning. The Spirit working in you breaks your barrier for the hope of others. The spirit working in you breaks your barrier for the hope of others. So that Easter is really then all about a break for hope. It's saying, stop. This is a break for hope. Do you need hope? Do you need assurance that God loves you? It's here. Right now. There's, I'm going to share a story in closing. In Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32, there's a story called the prodigal son. 
You might have heard of it, might not have. Doesn't matter, I'm going to tell you anyway. There's a story of a prodigal son. And the Bible says that there was this rich, wealthy farmer. And this wealthy farmer had two sons. The oldest son goes out to his dad. He says, Dad, I want my share of the inheritance. I want half of everything you've got. And he goes out and he spends it. And he tries drugs and he tries sex and he tries, he tries parties and he tries all of these other things. He tries everything to make him happy. And so what does he do? He, he lives his life chasing one happiness after another. If I can just get that, if I can just one more of this, one more of that, one more of that. Until he does it so much, he has nothing left. And the Bible says he finally comes to himself in a pig trough, feeding pigs. He's like, how many of my dad's hired servants live a better life than me? And so he goes back to his dad. In the Bible, Jesus telling this story, something interesting that we don't get in 21st century and in our culture, we don't get it. The Bible says that the dad picked cloak, tucked it in his belt, and took off running. This is a very wealthy, dignified man. Wealthy, dignified men don't run. And they definitely don't expose their legs and take off running. There's also a Jewish principle called kizeza. It's kizeza. Look at your neighbor and say, kizeza. Kizeza. The principle is this. If you embarrass your, if you leave the community, if you leave the town and you embarrass your family on your way into town, Kizeza says that the town and the town and the people of the town, the men of the town particularly, are to bring a pot, break it at your feet, not allow you to go home, and then breaking that pot means your relationship with this community is broken. Leave. Don't come back. And you're shamed. You're shamed out of the town. You're shamed and you're guilty and you're condemned. Do you know what Jesus was saying when he said the father saw him afar off and took off running towards him? They would have known about Kizeza. And dad said, not my son. I'm going to intercept him before the other people get to him. And I will call off the men of this community and say, don't you break the pot at my son's foot. I love him. I want him back. He was running to stop the other people. People are going to condemn and judge you all the time. It's just a part of life. It's not going anywhere. But the father is running towards you. And he wants to stop the shaming and the condemning of other people in your life. In that story, he had a younger son. And he, the younger son was like, well, because uh, the Bible says that the dad threw a party for his oldest son when he came back. And the youngest son's like, dad's never thrown a party for me. And we have two people now in this story that need saved. One is the one who ran away and said, I'll do it my way and I'll figure it out myself. And they come back. And they're afraid to come back because they're afraid to come, they're afraid to come back to church 
Because the church has been kizeza a lot. They're afraid to come back to church because they're afraid they're going to be shamed. They're afraid to come back to church because they're going to have the finger wag in their face. How dare you? Not here. That won't happen here. But now the younger son, well, he's all righteous and dignified. I want to tell some of you church people, you need to be saved from your your righteousness and your stuck-upness. Can I say that? Is that a word, stuck-upness? The younger son needed saved just as much as the older one did. Because everybody in here has got skeletons in the closet. And Jesus says, I want you coming out of that tomb. I want you out of what's holding you back. So this morning, you've probably got a three-by-five card. I want you just to write on that card, what's holding you back? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it just doubt and unbelief? I want you to write on that card what's holding you back. And here in just a few minutes, I'm going to invite everybody to come up. And whatever's holding you back, I want you to put it in the slot in the tomb and leave it in the tomb. It's time for you to come out and away from that. It's time to come away. And as you come forward and put that in the slot, there's going to be a prayer team here on my left, and I'll be over here on the right. And if you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you'll be like, man, I've been running for so long. And what, I've been sitting in church, and I thought I was holy because I showed up to church. If you're either one or two of the prodigal sons, we want to pray with you. If you don't need prayer, we're going to ask you to just walk right on by us, take communion, and go back to your seat. Walk forward, drop your stuff in the tomb, and walk away and leave it there. Go take communion as a celebration. And go back to your seat, and then we'll close in a song. But before we do that, I want to I read Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is the song that... Uh, is a song that Jesus sang the night of the Last Supper. In Psalm 118, verse 12, starting in verse 12. Now just imagine Jesus singing this and what he's about to face in the cross, getting beat. It says, They swarmed around me like bees, but they were consumed as quickly as burning thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them down. I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has my salvation. Band, you guys can go ahead and take communion and come on up. Jesus sang this, like he said, they swarmed me like bees. They swarmed me like bees, but I pushed them back. They beat me down, but I pushed them back. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel beat down. You feel, like, you feel like the world is just swarming you like bees. God is your hope and your salvation. Jesus wants to make that right. So this morning, if you've got your cards, come on up. Just bring them forward and then take off to the side and take communion. And those of you that are Norman, Linda, if you guys would come up.
on this side, and I'll come over here. 